Well, hello everyone. It's great to be with you again today. Obviously, I would have loved to be in the room, uh, but I'm just so grateful that we get to communicate at least this way using technology to our advantage. It's actually Thursday night of Kids in the Park week, and uh, it's already been happening. We got our big finale here tomorrow. That's what you can see the set behind me, and it has been an amazing week. It's been so good to see this church alive and buzzing with kids and volunteers. We've actually had 78 kids uh, registered this week and coming, and it's been so great. And, and 34 volunteers who are faithfully serving here and, and loving on kids and creating opportunities for them to just have fun and to learn about Jesus in just a great way. And it has been really, really exciting. It's been one great week. And I'm so thankful for, for Gemma and Margie and, and so many others who have just work tirelessly to make this kind of week happen. It does not happen by accident. It doesn't happen without planning, without thought. Without thought. And, uh, and I'm just so grateful to be part of a great church that is so desperately wants to serve our community. And so if you see someone who volunteered, if you were someone who volunteered, I'm giving you a high five, okay? That's what this is. I'm giving you a high five, and uh, I'm just so proud. I'm proud of you and so thankful for you. Well, we're jumping into our series, continuing our series, rather, called Parables, as we explore the stories of Jesus. And, you know, Jesus is building up a following here now. He's got people who are following him, and, and his word is spreading, and crowds are growing. And, you know, we talked about last week, the Pharisees are getting a little bit uneasy with the type of people that, is, that Jesus is attracting to himself, the type of people that Jesus, a, a rabbi, is associating with, and, and the crowds keep getting bigger, and it's into this moment that Jesus tells this next parable as he's really speaking to the condition of the listener's heart. He, he's speaking to the crowds. You've got to imagine, these crowds are, are filled with different people from different experiences and different understanding of the scripture or the Torah. And, uh, and as they hear Jesus talk about the kingdom, as they hear Jesus talk about God, as they hear Jesus talk about principles of, of hope and salvation, uh, he, is, he is cautioning them, them of, of something that can happen when a sower plants seeds. And what happens to the heart as they hear those seeds, or hear that word, rather, uh, as they hear the teaching of Jesus. And so it's that, that's what we're going to jump into. We're, the parable of the sower found in Matthew 13. And so again, I just encourage you to follow along on the, the scriptures, either in your Bible or on your app, the YouVersion app. Obviously, the scripture will also be on the screen for you to follow along with us. So we're going to jump right into the story, Matthew 13, starting at verse 1. It says, later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside a lake. And a large crowd soon gathered around him. And so he got into a boat, and then he sat there and he taught as the people stood on the shore. And he told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. It says, listen, a farmer went out and planted some seed, and he scattered them across his field. And some seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rocks, and the seeds sprouted quickly because their soil was shallow. But as, as soon as the plants wiltered under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell on thorns and grew up and choked out by the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone who hears, let him hear, and he should listen and understand. Now, as we've already discovered, there are some parables that, that Jesus tells that needs a little bit 
of explaining. We have to kind of break it down a little bit and try to understand the, the then and there in order to apply to the here and now. But this parable that Jesus explains is, is not one of them. Jesus continues on in a couple moments, in a couple other verses, and really explains exactly what he was thinking. Probably because some of the disciples... Some of the followers, like you and I, we find that we're, we hear God, but we don't fully understand. And so sometimes Jesus has got to be very specific in his explanation. And this is one of those stories. But really what he's doing, he's speaking to the condition of our heart, right? So this is not something that we are projecting on somebody else as we listen to this parable, as we, as we go through our time together. This is something that we are evaluating our own heart condition, as we hear God's word, as we read scripture, as we engage in worship, as we engage in conversations about godly things, he's really just speaking to the condition of our heart, the listener, the soil of our heart. But before we get too far into our talk today, there's two things that we need to understand. They're sort of base principles because they kind of set the tone for everything we're going to talk about today. The first is this, is that the farmer scatters seed indiscriminately. Like he's just scattered seed Everywhere. This is not a farmer who is taking one seed at a time and, and planting one seed in the ground or taking another seed and finding another spot of ground and planting the seed. No, no, no. This farmer, he's got like a, you can picture it, right? A bag of seed and he's reaching his hands to that bag of seed and he's just throwing it. He's just scattering the seed. He's scattering the seed. If I, I, I sometimes overseed my grass at home and that's what I do. I get the seed and I, I just scatter the seed and I just want the seed to go anywhere and everywhere. You see, this gives every ground the potential to bear fruit. This is good news for you and I. Listen, this isn't some reserve for some spiritual elite. This is, this is reserved to anybody. He gives everybody the potential to bear fruit. And he just kind of sees what sticks. He just scatters the seed and, and sees what sticks. But the potential of the seed then is revealed not in the seed, but in how the soil responds to the seed. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Listen, Jesus' words are true. Jesus' words are right. Jesus' words are aligned with God. But with the result of that, the fruit of his words will determine in how we receive and respond to the seeds of his message, the words of his message. And the second truth we need to understand is this, is that the potential of each seed is filled with unlimited possibilities, right? And just as a seed is planted and doesn't just produce one tree, but produces a tree that produces seeds to produce more trees. There's, there's unlimited potential in the power of a seed. And every one of us is filled with that same unlimited potential when we hear the word of God. But potential is pointless if it's never planted. Potential is pointless if it's never planted, if it's never cared for and tendered for. It says the old saying goes, brilliance doesn't mean much if it doesn't get out of bed. I mean, you can be an amazing person, you can be fantastic, but if you don't get out of bed in the morning, if you don't do something with your life, then you're just wasting it away. You see, the issue isn't the seed. The issue is the soil. The issue isn't the words of God. The issue he's speaking to today is how we receive the words of God. How we receive his teaching and his guidance and his direction. And how we respond in kind. And this is good news. 
And as I said, all right, I love this because this is now open to all who hear. This is open to all who receive. This is not reserved. This isn't Jesus walking around saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to you, and, and you're good enough, and, and, well, and you're qualified, but this whole group, you're, you're disqualified. No, no, that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's scattering seed. He's scattering seed. He's seeing what sticks. And that's the story he's referring to is the farmer. And this is good news for you and I, and I'm so grateful that God gives all of us the same opportunity to respond to his message, to respond to his life and to his teachings. And inside of us carries the same unlimited potential if we allow that seed to bear fruit. But what Jesus is saying in this parable, he's saying, listen, this is not about the, the, the seed, it's not about the sower, but what's happening, what he's warning his listeners is, listen, there is, there's an enemy of our world, there's an enemy of our soul, there is the devil. And we don't like talking about the devil too much because it makes us feel weird inside, but the truth is, there is a real battle between good and evil, between God, between Jesus and the devil. And Jesus wants us to experience life and have it life to the full. But the devil wants to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to separate us from God. And this is a real battle that's taking place. And I'm first to admit that I don't fully understand all of it. Some of it is outside of my understanding. But I'm convinced of this. And I felt it personally that I know that the enemy wants to separate me from God. He wants to discourage and, and beat up and belittle and remind me how bad I am in times. And forget and allow me to forget about the grace of God. And so Jesus is speaking to his followers and he's, listen, there are three ways. You need to hear me, there are three ways that the enemy is going to try to rob the seed from being developed, rob the seed from actually taking root in your life. And he says, one, it's going to cause doubt. He's going to try to cause doubt. Secondly, he's going to try to seek to destroy. And third, he's going to try to attempt to deceive. He's going to cause doubt. He's going to try to seek to destroy that seed. And he's going to attempt to deceive you. And Jesus explains all that in the next, the next section of Scripture. And it's important to, it's important to know. Listen, this, these attempts do not stop the farmer from casting the seed. The seeds are being, are being sown. The seeds are being cast out. What the enemy is trying to do is stop the seeds from actually bearing fruit, from, grow, from establishing a root system and actually thriving and receiving the good news. And so to remove all uncertainty and ambiguity, Jesus really responds to his disciples because most of his disciples are kind of knocking on him. You know, the crowd is now gone and they're trying to act all like smart and educated because they're, they're followers of Jesus. And then the crowds kind of dissipate and, you know, Peter probably among them and many other, okay, now, I, I know you said that, Jesus, but can you, can you explain? I, I think I know, I think I know what you mean by that, but just, just help me understand fully, right? You ever have those moments where like, you're trying to prove yourself really smart and in crowd, but then you get in public and you're like, I, I have no idea. Jesus, you got to help me out. Throw me a bonus. So in this moment, and in this kind of feeling, Jesus responds to his disciples. and says this. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. It's like very specific, right? Like here is the explanation. He says, The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom of God, but they don't understand it. Anybody been there? The devil, their evil one, comes and he snatches it away. And this, this, he snatches away the seed that was planted in the heart. So he just he destroys it. He just he snatches it away. 
Then the enemy, the evil then comes, uh, sorry, then the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as problems and, or, or are persecuted for believing God's word. The third seed, rather, the seed that fell on the, th- on the thorns represents those who hear God's words, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and so no fruit is produced. The seed, however, that falls on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as planted. And so in this last few verses, Jesus kind of really clarifies these three ways that the enemy of this world will try to destroy and cause doubt and destroy all the seed that has been planted. The first one is this, that he causes doubt. And, it, and he causes doubt with a lack of understanding. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. I, it seems beyond my understanding. It just, I, it's all up here, but it's not here yet. And it's, there's just so much going on. And Hosea, the prophet, he says, My people are destroyed by lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. And there's this idea that sometimes we're too smart for our own good. Sometimes we, 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 we try to overthink and overcomplicate and, and over-dissect issues that we don't allow them just to come to our heart a little bit, allow us to, to feel the tension or feel the spiritual response to God's message. See, Proverbs talks a lot about this threefold process of gaining wisdom. And he talks about knowledge, he talks about understanding, and he talks about wisdom. You see, in life, we start out not knowing anything, really. We don't know, we don't know. We don't know that we don't know. We don't know what we don't know that we don't know, you know. You know what I'm saying by that? Like, sometimes you just, you don't even know what you don't even know. And there's wisdom and experience that comes through just experience and, and time. And so he's breaking it down. He says, knowledge is, is learning something you don't know. So we, we learn something for the first time. We gain that sense of knowledge, Understanding, then, is how we apply that knowledge. It's, it's I've learned something, and now I understand it because I've applied that knowledge, and I've gained now an understanding. Wisdom, however, is what happens when knowledge and understanding become integrated into who you are through time and experience, right? I have gained wisdom because I've learned something, I've understood something, and I've experienced something to gain a sense of wisdom, and this is what happens. This is a natural process of maturity. This doesn't happen overnight. You know, we want to understand everything from day one. And unfortunately, that just doesn't happen. But really, about anything, you have to give it time. And so many times, and, and what Jesus is speaking is that you don't even allow that seed to allow to mature, to develop experience, to develop wisdom, to develop knowledge and understanding before it is robbed. You see, Jesus says our spiritual enemy wants to attack our understanding. He wants to prey on our lack of understanding. He wants to cause doubt. He wants to ask, did God really say? It's that very first question that, he, that the devil asked Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say and just cause doubt? You see, don't fall into temptation that gaining knowledge only comes through somebody else's personal experience. You, you don't just have to gain knowledge by coming to church on a Sunday. You can gain knowledge by opening God's Word on your own and, and going through a Bible app or going through a devotional or, or asking questions or getting engaged in a, in a small group and, and finding like-minded people to ask questions. Maybe someone who's been a little bit further along in life than you. But we need to allow ourselves to gain understanding. 
Don't just say, I don't know, and walk away, but allow yourself to remain a student. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God for it, who gives it generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And this is the beautiful thing. Again, your relationship with Jesus, my relationship with Jesus, doesn't hinge on somebody else. It's, it's not built on somebody else's personal experience. But I can have this personal relationship with God myself where I can get to know God and ask God for wisdom and understanding as I open his word, as I hear his teaching. God, bring understanding to my, to my mind. Help me understand this and know this so that I can protect the seeds that are being planted in my heart. You see, when we lack understanding, we are vulnerable to the enemy robbing something in our lives. Like a newborn child, we need other people around us to help us and, and encourage us to grow. You know, we don't ever expect a newborn or, or a toddler to be able to fend for themselves from day one. We expect that there is this season of maturity. There is this, this process of development. There is this process of growth that takes place. And as mature believers, as, as mature people rather, we are, we are called as parents to protect and to nurture and support those young lives. In our church world, we should, at the same way, there are, there are people in many different seasons of our journey, some who are just getting started, some who've been along this way, along this road, and we need to nurture one another and care for one another and protect one another. And so the symptoms of this attack or the, the realities of this attack is this closed-mindedness or this hard-heartedness where we feel we've got it all figured out and we can't, you can't explain it and I don't understand it and we just shut it down. But the, the soft part or the prayer part that we need to work through and to keep our heart in the right place is to remain a student to keep asking good questions and to keep open mind and an open heart and to find people around us who can walk with us and help us understand through their experience and through their wisdom and through their understanding. And so the first way that the enemy will try to attack that seed is by causing doubt. The second way is that he will try to seek to destroy He'll try to seek to destroy by, by removing the ability for, to, for the lack of a healthy root system. He won't allow you to develop a healthy root system. He, you may, it, may be, it may be a quick, a quick growth or a quick excitement, but you're not really growing in God's word. And you can't develop that root system. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. You just picture this, this tree that's just sending on its roots in the underground to find the source of water. And it does not fear when heat comes, and its leaves are always green. It has no worries in year of drought, in year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. You see what happens in life. We, we know this. We've experienced this. This is not new information to us, but sometimes in life, it's hard. Sometimes we experience drought, we experience hardship, we experience things that will, in a lot of ways, discourage fruit to be birthed in, in our life. And what Jeremiah is saying, blessed is someone who, is, who trusts the Lord, who develops a root system, who develops a security, who a foundation, a, a base that knows where to find source of water, that knows where to find the source of life, who knows who to lean on, who knows who to call, who knows who to uh, surround themselves with, so that in those hard seasons, they are not, they can still produce fruit, rather. Jesus said that the, if the enemy can't rob the, rob the seed, he will seek to destroy the seed. And he does this by two specific ways. One, a shallow following of Jesus, 
It's just very experiential. It's very emotional. It's not necessarily rooted in God's word, but rooted in how I feel in the, in the moment. And I'm not negating feeling, and feeling is a great part of growth, but we cannot rely on feelings. The same way you cannot rely on feelings in a marriage, right? You cannot rely on feelings in a healthy relationship because sometimes our feelings fail us, right? Sometimes our feelings set us up for failure. And we need to move beyond those feelings. We need to move beyond the experiences. We need to establish something that is a little more solid, that is a little more stable. So we need to establish those root systems that we can rely on. He's saying the shallow following of Jesus produces no growth. It produces no change. It produces no effect. You are kind of the same all the time. You're not really growing in your relationship with God. The second is a season of battering with hard times. And it's not just that you're going through a season of battering, but you don't surround yourself with people who you can rely on, who, you, who have a support, you have a support system, who, can lean, who can, you can lean on and they can support you through those seasons because hardships come. We, this is not new information. We've experienced them this last year. Some of you are experiencing new ones even today. You're in a season of hardship. And unless it's for those people around you, maybe those who are even sitting in the same row as you, if it weren't for them, you don't know where you would be in your relationship with Jesus. They are holding you up in a season of hardship. And that's what it's like to create grid roots. It's, it's knowing who can I rely on, who can I lean on. Remember, the enemy can't just stop the seed from being sown. He's, can only he can only destroy it before it is grown. And so we have an opportunity to lean in and to rely on him. And what is he trying to destroy? Well, he's trying to destroy the fruits of the Spirit within you, right? Of love, joy, hope, peace, goodness, patience, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. He's trying to destroy these things, these evidences of fruit. He wants to beat you up and, and bury you and, and make you feel beat up and, and broken inside. Bruxy Cavey is a pastor of a church in Toronto. And he says, he has this, in a, one of his books, he kind of threw out this thought experiment. He said, imagine if you weren't following Jesus. Imagine you, if you weren't following Jesus, and you were basically, are you basically the same person, he's saying. If you weren't following Jesus, are you basically the same person? And he says, if you are, then maybe you aren't following Jesus. You know, like if you were to evaluate your life without Jesus, has anything, does anything really change? And what is he speaking to? Is he speaking like, are you growing? Are you allowing Jesus, the, the man of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the Godhead of Jesus, the, the person of Jesus, the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, are you allowing those things to change you? Or are you just kind of holding on to it but not really changing in the process? See, when you study the Gospels, you quickly realize that there is a cost to following Jesus, that there is some evidence of change, that our lives should look different that our lives should produce a different fruit, something that is different than those who do not know Jesus. In Mark 10, we see this description of those following him as astonished and afraid. Pastor Nick talked about this a couple weeks ago, this idea of being astonished and afraid. What does astonished mean? It means that you're just surprised at what God is doing. You're surprised. You're like overwhelmed that God is choosing to use you or, or what God is doing around you. You're over, like, I can't believe it. Or you're afraid. You're like, God, you want, you want me to do what? You, you want me to go where? You want me to say what? You want me to talk to who? Are you, are you, you want to use me? Me. And you see throughout the Gospels that the disciples were always either astonished of what God was doing or afraid of what he was asking them to do. And there is this tension because they were following Jesus closely. 
You see, may I suggest that if we aren't either astonished of what God is asking to do in our, or what God is doing in our life or afraid of where he's leaving, then maybe we need to evaluate whether we are actually following Jesus close enough. Because he's going to lead us to places that are uncomfortable. He, he's going to lead us to places and spaces that we would never go to on our own. He's going to ask us to do things that we think we are in ourselves are incapable of doing. And then that, he's going to, and that ask is, is so much that if we just let it go, it's going to, it's going to cost us something. It's, he's going to put us in a place, sorry. He's going to ask us that we're incapable of in order to produce in us and through us an eternal harvest. And sometimes it can get scary, but when you realize that Jesus said that he's never going to ask you to do something, that he's not going to leave you or forsake you, that you can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can men do to me? If he is for me, then who could be against me? And, and though it's going to be a little bit uncertain, and though I'm going to be a little bit nervous, I know that God is with me as I walk through this journey, and that's what the disciples felt. And this is the journey that you and I are invited to be a part of. See, Jesus paid the price, but there's always a cost to following Jesus, isn't there? And the enemy will try to rob the potential harvest by leading us to believe that the cost is just too great. That cost is just too great. It's just not worth the extra effort. It's, the ask is just too much. I mean, there's still lots of time, right? There, there's still lots of time for me to get that stuff figured out. There's still lots of time for me to, to get all my ducks in a row. I'm just going to enjoy life now. I'm just going to have a good time. I'm going to live and be free, and, and I'll worry about that stuff later. But it doesn't take long to realize that we're no to know that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. That all we have is today. The life and the breath that are in front of us to now. And what are we going to do with what God has given you? What am I going to do with what God has given me? And that's the question. And so the symptom here is this no ongoing discipleship. This no ongoing next steps. And our prayer points that we need to work through is this, this idea of fighting contentment. Right? All of us, this is something we all have to do, especially in this season where maybe we have been sitting back a little bit too long, where we have developed maybe some unhealthy habits of just being a consumer in ministry and church. Maybe we are, are kind of half-hearted with some of the things. Maybe because we're not really sure what the future looks like. We don't want to get our hearts broken again. We don't want to be disappointed. We don't want to be all into something and only to be taken away again. And I understand all of those things. But life is so much more than our comfort. We need to embrace change. We need, this is the idea that growing things change. Healthy things change. If we want to see, if we want to be healthy followers of Christ, if we want to be healthy fruit and healthy uh, seeds brewing, growing healthy trees and healthy, uh, healthy lives, then we need to allow those things to change. We need to allow God to change our heart and our mind. A question I ask myself, you know, a lot is when was the last time when was the last time I did something for the first time? When was the last time I did something for the first time? In my relationship with God, when was the last time I did something for the first time? You know, in my relationship with my spouse, when was the last time I did something for the first time to keep that sense of excitement and adventure? When was the last time I did something for the first time? Because if you're like me, it's easy to fall into routines. And routines are great, but routines quickly turn into ruts, right? They quickly turn into ruts. And we just kind of get working in this cycle and we lose life. We lose excitement. We lose passion. We lose zeal. So the second, he wants to seek to destroy that seed from producing fruit. And the third thing, if, if he can't, if persecution doesn't work, then he's going to try his hand at prosperity. 
And what he does, you see in the third one, is he attempts to deceive. He attempts to deceive with an abundance of choice. If you want to replace a really bad narrative, it's just this, is that scriptures don't teach that temptation is dragging us away from our heart wants the most. It's not that it's pulling us away from that. Temptation actually deceives us to believing that it itself, the thing that our heart wants the most, will replace who God is and will give us more than God can fulfill. So you want to be loved and you go further in a relationship than you want to or you should. If you want to stop the pain, then you self-medicate with substance and shopping or sex or achievement. If you want to be successful, so you alienate ourselves from our families in pursuit of that goal. We, we trade in what is really life-giving for those pseudo-life-giving. That's what temptation is. It pulls us away from who God really wants us to be. Ephesians 2 says, you used to live in sin. Listen, this is something you used to do before you were followers of Christ. Just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of this unseen world, he is the spirit at work in your hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. Listen, Paul's saying that's what you used to be like before you knew Christ, before you met Jesus, before you accepted his word, before you allowed his life to change your life. Don't fall back into that pattern. Don't fall back into that way of living. Don't fall back into that stinking thinking, as someone used to say. You know, allow God's word to, so, to, 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 to clarify and unify and give your, per, your life direction and purpose. See, at times our life can all get wrapped up with earthly things, and earthly things are great, but sometimes if we focus too much of our energy on earthly things, there's no more room for the eternal things. We, we filled up our cup, we filled up our agenda, we filled up our calendar with these great good things that are around us, and we leave no more room for God things or for eternal things in our heart or in our home or in our schedules. Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, uh, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first Jesus. Seek first his ways and his understanding and his righteousness, and then all of these things, all these other things will be added to you as well. You see, you put, if you put everything else before God, you'll find quickly that you have no more room left for God. And good things become the top things in our life. And so the symptoms of comfort, the symptoms are, are happiness and, and comfort and that self, uh, self uh, we, just, we just self-destroy these principles and these convictions and the prayer point is to seek holiness over happiness, to seek his purpose over preference, to seek his kingdom over our kingdom, to know the difference between good things and the most important things. Because we want the seeds, we want the words of God to grow in our heart. And so, in an honest evaluation, the question that we have to ask ourselves is what's the soil or the condition of my heart? What's the soil of my heart like? And where is the enemy trying to stop me or stop God from seeing that seed, not just sown, but, but grown? Where, where is that happening? Is it, is it lack of understanding? Is he trying to destroy it? Or is he trying to deceive you with abundance of other options and a bunch of other good things? Is he causing us to doubt, seeking to destroy, or tempting us to believe? And that's, what we, that's the question all of us have to ask. Because at the end of the day, we're all responsible for our own salvation. We're all responsible for the soil of our own heart. 
And every day we have to work at that. Every day we have to keep it fresh and toil the soil of our heart to keep it plantable and pliable to, for, for God to do a work in us. And so how do we combat these, these attacks? Well, just three things really, really quick. One is that we need to follow Jesus because he understands. You know, we need to recommit ourselves to follow Jesus, to, to say, God, I'm fixing my focus. I, I'm putting my attention on you. I'm opening up my heart to you. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. You know, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our, our struggle or our hurts or hang-ups or habits. But we have, in, we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so we have someone that we're following. As we follow Jesus, we have someone who understands the temptations, who understands the challenges, who understands the heartache and the hurt, yet did not sin. So we can follow his example. He is trustworthy. Which means we can actually trust Jesus because his heart helps us to take heart. So it's number two, we can trust Jesus. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you, in me you may have peace. For in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. We know, again, we cannot overcome the world on our own. There are things that are happening around us that are out of our control. And for some of us, that messes us up. We cannot control it with this idea we are full of anxiousness and worry and uncertainty. But God is saying, listen, take heart. You can trust in me. I have overcome the world. And again, it gives us not just this earthly perspective, but it gives us an eternal perspective to see Jesus, to lift up our eyes, to see the author and the perfecter of our faith. And thirdly, we need to prioritize Jesus because he is worth our full infection. And we deprioritize this. If, if we want the fruits of the Spirit to grow in our life, if we want the joy of the Lord to be our strength, if we want to be known by our love for one another, then we need to allow Jesus, we need to prioritize Jesus in our life because apart from Him, John says, we can do nothing, right? Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. And you and I know this, right? You and I have seen this in our own lives, that there are moments where we can be kind. There are moments where we can be gentle. There are moments in life where we can be patient. But those things aren't naturally in us. Those things we have to muster up as much as we can. But if we want the kindness and the grace and the joy and the hope and the peace of God to overflow in our lives, then we need to prioritize Jesus in our lives and allow him to allow the source of those things to, to build in our lives, to stay connected to the source. So the honest question is this, is do we have a harvest problem? If you have a harvest problem, it's not the seeds issue, it's, it's the soil's issue. You know, it's not the seeds problem, it's not the word of God, it's the soil, it's, it's how we're receiving it, how we are responding to God. You want joy in your life? You want hope in your life? You want peace in your life? Don't blame the word of God. Just look to your own heart. Look to your own heart and say, God, is the soil of my heart conditioned enough for those fruits to grow, for roots to be developed? Am I allowing you to bring clarity and understanding to my life and to your word as I read it? Am I giving, your, am I giving you space to, to breathe life into me and to speak to me? Am I prioritizing you in my life? Or am I filling my days with things that are just temporary and earthly? They're good. They're great. They're nothing bad in them of themselves, but they're robbing me of allowing your fruit to grow in my heart. And so as a church, 
you know, we will become known for what we are for when not just, this is not an institutional thing, this is an individual thing. Right? We know that the church is full up with people. The church is not this building. The church is not the sign in the front of the building. The church is you and I. And so if we want to be a church that's making a difference in our community, then you and I need to have soils of a heart that allow the fruits of the Spirit to grow within us first, individually. Right? And then what happens one day, hopefully what happens one day, is that we get to help God and scatter the seeds, preach the good news, and allow the joy of God to overflow in our life to make a difference wherever we are in our schools, in our workplaces, in our community, on the street, wherever we find ourselves, that those, the fruits of the Spirit, would overflow in us seeds of hope and a future. So the question we're asking here today is, how's this, how's this condition of your heart? How's this, so what's the soil of your heart like? My prayer is that together we would allow God to soften our hearts, to open our hands and position us again to receive, not only hear his word, but understand it, apply it, and allow it to grow and flourish in and through our lives. And together, we can see Jesus make a change and Jesus be glorified in our community. Let's just pray together. Father, we're just so grateful that you give all of us the opportunity to know you. You give all of us the opportunity to grow in you. You give all of us the opportunity to develop in you and to allow the fruits of your spirit to be evident in our life. And you, you like the farmer, just scatter that seed. You just continue to scatter that seed and, and see where it sticks. And God, we pray, I pray first and foremost that God, it would stick in me, that your fruit and the, your seeds would bear fruit in my life. And in my heart, and I would allow you to, to mold me and shape me and change me and stretch me and, and toil the soil and pull out the weeds and do what you need to do in me so that the fruit of your character, the fruit of your, of your goodness, the fruit of your majesty would be evidenced in my life. That I would be changed because of what you have done. Every day leaning into new opportunities. Every day leaning into new adventures. Every day asking what you want to do in me and through me. Where you want me to go and what you want me to say. God, allowing you to be real in my life. May your life, may your character, may your death, your resurrection, your grace, your mercy. God, may those things be evidence changed in my life. May I not forsake them. May I not dismiss it. May I not minimize the sacrifice you paid for me by not allowing your grace to change me. And God, that's my prayer for all of us here today. God, that we would hear your words and apply your words to our life and that we would make your word and your name and your grace would make a markable difference, a markable difference in our lives. And so God, we submit ourselves to you again. In Christ alone, we place our hope. In Christ alone, we place our trust. In Christ alone, we place our future. In Christ alone, God, we place our presence. And we know, God, that it's only in you and through you that all things are possible. And so, God, we turn our hearts to you today. Soften us, change us, mold us, and shape us for your glory. In your precious name we pray. Amen.